Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read-through of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, we are on episode 52 today, uh, so we just want to call it out, let everybody know. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is book five, chapter nine, The Last Debate. So before we get into it, a little bit of summary of the chapter. Chapter starts off with uh, Legolas and Gimli from their perspective, um, and they are looking for Merry and Pippin. Um, and they meet up with Merry and Pippin, and they have this sort of reunion where they talk about, well, really they talk about mostly the paths of the dead and the adventure of Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli when they were um, commanding the host of the dead. Um, and they talk about uh, that story, and they kind of mention how they captured ships from the Haradrim, and Aragorn re- then released the, the Shadow Army, and they tell that tale. And then there's part two of this chapter where we actually see uh, Aragorn has decided not to come back into the city. Um, he doesn't want to officially enter uh, into Gondor yet. So um, they're having a council in the tents outside of the city. And Gandalf, they come up with a plan. Basically, Gandalf says that they cannot beat Sauron. They just do not have the, the army for it. Their only hope is to distract him and let Frodo uh, complete his quest. And that's their only chance of victory. So... Uh, that's the plan they've set forth and that's the end of the chapter yeah it is yeah. one of these chapters that fits into the mold of sort of just exposition to get us moving a lot of people get together talk to to uh move the plot along and that's it and we've seen plenty of chapters like this we've called it out each time here we go again um consequently not too many big thematic things happening here um that's okay it's just a little bit of glue yeah, that's okay. It's yeah. this is the mortar and the wall, right? And yeah, I and it's I, short too. It's, it's not short. too long. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I just think you can't really expect. It would be unfair to expect every chapter to be some kind of groundbreaking, earth shaking, thematic tour de force. Right. You know, you, sometimes you just gotta explain what we're gonna do next, and, and that's what we do here. So, still, there's there's a to me, there's really only two moments in this chapter that stood out. So I'll be interested to hear your take, Pip. Okay. Um, and the first one, the first one's interesting. It's toward the beginning. Legolas and Gimli are chatting. And they're looking at the city of Minas Tirith, and Gimli's admiring the stonework and these things. And Legolas had just met Imrahil, one of the Gondorian princes, and thought he was just such a great noble guy. Wow, fantastic. And they're, they're, these two are chatting then, an elf and a dwarf. And Legolas points out to Gimli, the, he says this, the deeds of men will outlast us, Gimli. The deeds mm-hmm. of men. That to me is a really interesting line because we know men live shorter lives than certainly the elves who are mortal and even the dwarves live longer than men. So Legolas doesn't focus on their lives though. He says the deeds, the deeds of men will outlast us. And they, they don't really elaborate on that. It's just here. Um, but I think it's a very thoughtful or thought-provoking line. Uh, I don't know. what I mean, do you have any thoughts on this, Pip? Or? Yeah, you know, I was reading this, and uh, it seemed to be that Legolas had this um, focus on the future. Like, it was kind of an interesting dialogue. I, yeah. Like, it wasn't long enough to really, like, you know, like you said, it wasn't, like, one of those chapters. But Legolas seems to be very focused on the future, mm-hmm. and Gimli is... Uh, really focused on the present like he has he takes that perspective and saying this you know look at the the day of today but the deeds of men i i guess that's a i mean legos is also his race is in decline and they're leaving middle earth yeah so there's that like 
very literal sense. But I think, I don't know, there is something about what humans have built. Yeah, I mean, thinking maybe I should read the whole thing in context too. So the context here goes, Gimli is talking about the, the good stonework in the city. He says it's the older and it was wrought in the first building. Because he says, it is ever so with the things men begin. There's a frost in spring or a blight in summer, and they fail of their promise. So Gimli starts out really pessimistic that human beings mess things up, just inevitably. But Legolas points out, yet seldom do they fail of their seed. And what will lie in the dust and rot, or sorry, excuse me, and that will lie in the dust and rot to spring up again in times and places unlooked for. The deeds of men will outlast us, Gimli. So, hmm. It's it's interesting, too, because this it's kind of contradictory to a lot of themes of the book, right? So Gimli yeah, exactly. Has, yeah. yeah, where it has this, like, uh, very in-theme uh, comment that, oh, old things were better, and, and yeah. you know, the stonework is not, not as good as it used to be. Um, and to me, that's in line with yeah. this book, for the most part, seems to be kind of the book's take on things. Things right. were better just in, inherently, and, and they have inevitably gotten worse, and they're going to get worse. Yeah, so that that is kind of like a really odd, I don't remark from Legolas. I get, but there there must be some kind of like cyclical redemption thing happening here too, right? Things do get worse, but then they do get better, and that that is uniquely human. The elves, on some way here, are like they're too perfect. They're so perfect that they get to exist, but they make no mistakes. But then they also can't last very long for whatever reason. Like when they do make a mistake, I guess they can't come back from it. Whereas human beings can, we're, we're, we're born to make mistakes and screw up because we also have this kind of like resilience and a way to bounce back might be what Tolkien's getting at. And there is this ambiguity to when he says us, whether he's talking about literally those two characters yeah. or their, or their races, um, with Legolas it's kind of hand in hand. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I just, I love the emphasis on the deeds. It's the deeds that will last that men get to sacrifice a lifespan right like instead of long lifespan they get something else they get to do things that will last more so than the elves the elf stuff isn't going to last choices really yeah but human stuff is even though they individually die you know uh. just thinking about it there that does kind of tie into later in the chapter where they're talking about how frightening it would have been if aragorn had used the ring mm-hmm. uh and uh taken for himself to become a dark lord but uh, actually, look, maybe I'll pull up that uh, yeah, pull that it up. quote. Uh, yeah. Uh, page 876 on my... Okay, so the paragraph starts with Legolas saying, Strange indeed. Is it strange indeed, said Legolas. In that hour, I looked on Aragorn and thought how great and terrible a lord he might have become uh, in the strength of his will. Uh, yeah, there's that one. And then there's another one in the conversation with the camp where uh, they're talking about Sauron not understanding... Uh, the uh the nobility of of aragorn for being able to refuse the ring but yeah that's that's kind of ties into what you're talking about is that men here in middle earth get to make decisions right yeah like a like a free will thing here right like so Mm -hmm. if people have free will that's this great noble thing that that will outlast even people like the elves who may be literally immortal on this individual basis but can't seem to build things that are going to last and are going to stay but it, it, so interesting line, compelling line, seemingly against some of the, the sort of main current of the book, but perhaps there's something there about some kind of cyclical redemption. 
when we see this and look at this book and sort of those Catholic Christian themes that we know Tolkien was so big on, I, I can see that, right? I mean, this sort of Christian idea of, you know, mankind did fall, uh, but they were redeemed and they do outlast in everything in the end through the through being redeemed through uh, the power of, of Christ or what have you. I, I could see that here maybe a little bit too. Yeah. Let's see. What else in this chapter? Um, you know, one thing I thought was kind of neat was that the the story about the paths of the dead mm-hmm. um, was told to us as a story in a story, right. um, which it's just I like that because it's one of the more mythic parts of this. It's more supernatural. It's I mean, it's ghosts, right? So it's yeah. um, and and there's something about the horror of the caves that's never really explained to us. So it's you know it's not clear to the reader. You know it, it's not explicated exactly what is so frightening about these caves because you're reading it and you see the reactions of. Uh, the characters that are going through it, but that's that's what we get. So we, it kind of leads to our imagination to see, like, you know, what could be so terrifying about this. Um, so I like that story in a story. Yeah, uh, especially when you remember that this story's conceit is that it's actually not even Tolkien's story; it's him translating Frodo's or Sam's story right. into English. So you you just get all kinds of levels there. Uh, love it, absolutely. Um, last point I had about this is there is a um, there is a school of thought out there. Um, I know at least this uh, academic named Michael D.C. Drought be- uh, uh, argues for this this perspective. Um, there's a school of thought that uh, says that this book's big big message, big theme, is this conflict between sort of freedom and liberty and sort of authoritarian control and power. Uh, I've not mentioned that on this podcast yet because, quite frankly, I do not buy it. It's not actually one I think is very powerful. Actually, I love Drought. I love his work. Uh, I don't quite buy that reading of the book entirely. Um, I just don't really see too much evidence of it. But it does come up here. Um, so I don't mean to suggest it's not present. I just don't think it's a particularly big theme of the book, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think like it's you here. get some of it with the Gondorian soldiers, right? Uh, yeah. Well, like, you, you get it here but... with these like slaves that they free. They do go and they free slaves mm. on the ships. Um, right. And by they, I really I mean Aragorn and the uh, Army of the Dead. They free these slaves that are on the ships, and then the ships get manned by free men. And Legolas makes a big point about this, right? It's not free people uh, manning these ships. So I think it's a small part. I really still don't think the book is particularly big on this theme, but it does show up here. So I want to give a shout-out to that uh, camp of folks. Um, this, I think, is one of the places where that, that comes out really clearly. So Yeah, and then actually Aragorn frees the ghosts. Uh, yeah bunch of freedom going around we you know we mentioned last episode uh this sort of borderline democratic streak in aragorn here right of he he just he doesn't want to just be king to be king he wants people to want him to be king right so he doesn't want to just march in and say he's king and let's go but rather he he doesn't want any kind of conflict he doesn't want if anybody questions him he feels like it'd be illegitimate somehow right he wants to be acclaimed and he wants like that uh will the people behind him and I think this is best seen not in terms of the conflict of like liberty versus authoritarianism, um, which I, I think the book's just overall relatively silent on, except again in a couple moments like this. Uh, but rather again, like we said last episode, the book does have a sort of like anti-traditionalist streak to it, um, sort of underneath this veneer of of conservative-sounding languages and stories. Um, and I think that's just an example of that more than anything. Yeah, and actually, you know, one thing I think we didn't mention last episode when we we're talking about sort of a 
being anti-tradition, that's basically what our Hobbit characters are. Um, yeah. They are you, I think you did mention Hobbits, this right? last episode. Did I? But let's do it oh, again. Okay. Let's do it again. It's still good, but yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you can go back to last episode if you'd like, <laughs> or you can, you can not hit pause and uh, let the episode roll. Um, our Hobbits are bizarre, right, In from the Hobbit uh, race perspective, right? They are... I mean, Bilbo was an outcast, right? Because he was so different culturally than than his uh, uh, his peers. And all these hobbits are doing things that hobbits are not supposed to do, right? So mm-hmm. it's just another example of that. Yeah, you know, one thing that's just worth mentioning in this chapter, I think, is that uh, it's one of the... A few chapters in this book mention that Sauron is not the ultimate evil. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, talk that. Yeah, Gandalf says that other uh, evils are... Other evils there are that may come, for Sauron is himself but a servant or an emissary, which is, you know, must be, like, really cool to read back in, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the when this book came out, um, and you don't have any context, right? Right. It makes, look, it's it's meant to be taken literally on one level, in that Morgoth is out there, for those folks who have read The Silmarillion. Um, which again, when published, would not have read that. So you would have just thought, oh my gosh, literally, who is he talking about? Well, there is some greater evil, sure. But I think there's also a sort of meaning here. I, I I think that's the boring reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about Morgoth. Great. More interesting to me, of course, is just the the resonance of and reminder to us today that Tolkien's trying to write a myth here. And myths last. Myths are timeless in a way, right? You can read the Iliad today and still find all kinds of resonances with human nature. And that's what this is trying to do too. Tolkien's saying Sauron is just but a, a one servant or one manifestation isn't necessarily just about oh because yeah technically there's more goth right this isn't some game of D of ever progressing monsters or something but rather just a reminder to us that we have to deal with the same things like sauron's never i mean sauron's defeated but what he represents you know we still have to fight today and i think that's what's most important here yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I picked out a line, but men are better than gates and no gate will endure against our enemy if men desert it. Mm. Um, and I mean, they're literally talking about a gate, right? Yeah. But uh, it's, there. you know, there, it's, uh, there are not structures that you can put in place that can hold evil uh, at bay, right? It has to be willful choices from real actors. Well, I'm done. I got everything, so... Uh, I've got one more. I've All got right, one more. So, uh, so I think it's interesting in the second part of the uh, of the chapter when Gandalf is talking about their their hopelessness, right? Um, or rather, he's talking about not their hopelessness, but their um, uh, their inability to defeat Sauron in a head to head battle. Okay. Um, and I think this is interesting because you could perhaps mistake some of the. Uh, themes of the book to say like well even in the face of you know uh un- like unconquerable uh odds you should just hope for the best and don't worry it'll work out right which this is like making clear no that's not the case um gandalf is very clear about the the seeing stones not telling like you can be misled but there is truth to the fact that they really can't defeat uh sauron in a battle though what denethor saw was actually true and not just to oh okay well we'll go out there and we'll defeat him anyway but yeah. that it's uh yes yeah, their their hope is not to just do the impossible but their hope is for something else yeah i mean gandalf says it's 
kind of the best chance. I'll, uh, it's interesting that he says, though, that the idea of just defending themselves is, is prudent. That would be the most prudent move. Um, and he used that word a lot. <laughs> uh, prudence. He keeps going back to that. But we're not going to do the prudent thing. So, yeah, he's not going to do the safe bet. And he, but he's going to roll the dice and do something riskier. But if it, if it works out, it works out. It, it works out in the sense that it would actually totally win the war rather than just some kind of at best hollow victory or something if he, if victory at all yeah all right favorite line oh man actually i have a couple um oh, that's exciting okay yeah i think i think i, I will read too um right. so i really like uh, the description of the the army of the dead um right before aragorn is uh, going to release them um they've taken the ships of the Haradrim, and the shadow host withdrew to the shore there they stood silent, hardly to be seen, save for a red gleam in their eyes that caught the glare of the ships that were burning. I think that's just the best description of the Army of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and the other one I like um, is actually that line from, from Gandalf. Other evils there are that may come, for Sauron is himself but a servant or emissary. Yet it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in our succor of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. It's, it's interesting yeah, so, that, that that line comes here, by the way. Isn't that just a um, more archaic way of saying what Gandalf said way back in Book 1, Chapter 2? All we have to yes. do is just, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Talk about this book five archaic epic style language really coming full circle, right? I mean, we're just Tolkien's basically just restating things again, but it's just in, in that Gondor mode of of archaic stuff and um, really bridging that gap between the modern and the mythic uh, here. Great line, yeah. All right, so what have you got? Mine's boring. I already read it. Um, I'm gonna I'll say it for you one more time. Legolas saying, the, Legolas saying, the deeds of men will outlast us. Gimli, love it. Mm-hmm. Love the thought provoking nature of it. Um, I love the shortness of it. it it's, you know, I hate. I just said this whole book five has been trying to uh, come across as epic and archaic, but here's a line to me that's not. It's very modern Englishy, right? Very concise and short and uh, powerful. So I love it for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, what have we got next? Next, next chapter is is next the last chapter of book five. It is book five, chapter ten. The black gate opens. So we are really getting close to being done here. This is exciting. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We will um, see you all next time. <laughs>